Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Raghu Galamudi, CEO and co-founder of Included.ai, a people analytics platform that's raised $5.4 million in funding. Raghu, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, Brad. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm super excited to chat with you. So thanks so much for joining. Now, I'd love to kick things off with just a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah, again, uh, thanks a lot, Brad, for having me on this podcast. Really appreciate it. So yeah, a little bit about me. So I'm Raghu Galamudi. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Included.ai. So I moved to this country 24 years ago. Wow, it's been a long time. And I moved from India and I did my bachelor's of engineering in telecommunication in India. So my nature is more like an inquisitive nature. I like to build stuff. And what made me realize is that software is a great way to build stuff fast and see quick realization, right? So the other areas are like you need to spend a lot of time in research and development and understand the outcomes. But software is like you write a piece of code, you get the output immediately. So that was something that instant gratification was something that attracted me towards software. And uh, once I graduated, I started my job as a software developer in India. And then I moved to the U.S. and I, I was working in Silicon Valley for three years following the startup dream because I'm a builder and I'm an inquisitive nature kind of a guy. And this was in 2000s, and that's when you saw the whole dot-com crash. So this company was like, in like eight months, the stock price went from 1000 bucks to the company shut down. And that's that's my story in startup field. So then after that, I was getting older, getting to 27, 30 years old, and I, my parents were like, hey, you need to start focusing on your retirement, start saving money, and get a real job, right? So that's when I moved to Microsoft in Seattle, and I worked in Microsoft for 10 years, learned a lot, amazing company complex organization structure, how to navigate all that good stuff. And again, after 10 years, the startup itch came back to me and I joined Shippable as a CTO and then moved to Integrus Software, which I co-founded and I was a CTO. And then finally, now I'm co-founder of my own company, Included AI and, and the CEO of the company. So pretty interesting space. And as I said, one of the things I remember in my childhood was my uncle used to live in Toledo, Ohio. At that time, I used to think Toledo was like Hollywood of the of the West. Uh, as a kid, and from India, that's my lens to the U.S. through him. So he brought me a Walkman, right? And I was like, okay, this Walkman is great. I have the small headphones and the cassette player and all the cool stuff. But my intention was to somehow figure out how to get a boombox out of this Walkman. So we come from a humble background. The only electronic device I had in my house was a television. So what I did was I opened up the television and I connected the Walkman to the speakers of the television. In when I was doing that whole experimentation, I blew up the fuse, right? And at that time in India, buying a television was a pretty expensive work. It's not cheap to get a television then. So then my dad, as you know, the usual, he got super pissed at me. And then again, I learned how to fix the fuse, fix the fuse, and made a boombox out of it, right? So. Again, the key thing that I'm trying to tell you is that love to build stuff, love to build things from nothing and try to create something out of it. And that's what drew me to start us into the space. Now, let's talk a little bit about your time at Microsoft. So you mentioned there you learned a lot of things. 
If you had to pick like one big thing that you learned or maybe one big takeaway that you walked away with, what would you say that is? Oh, Microsoft is big time into people and culture, right? So they believe in their people. They believe in promoting culture within the organization. So I used to be in a lot of trainings that were diversity, equity, and inclusion focused where they taught me. I mean, I have my own prejudice and I have my own internal bias and I didn't know about it. And Microsoft gave me that avenue to go into these kind of trainings and understand where I fall short and gave me tools to enacu me to figure out how to essentially recognize it, what I'm doing. And so I could become a better manager and a better people leader. So that's something I really love about Microsoft. Of course, technology innovation given, they're amazing at that. But the people piece and the leadership piece is something I really value that I learned from Microsoft. Do you think they're going to win the the AI wars here with all their investments in open AI? I don't know. I mean, they, Satya Nadella took a big bet. He is super aggressive, which I really love about him. I mean, he overturned the company from Steve Ballmer's era, right? And I still repent myself because when Satya Nadella uh, took over Microsoft, that's when I quit, right? And the stock price was at the, at the bottom most. And now it's like a $3 trillion company. So I lost a lot leaving Microsoft. But having said that, from the AI battle that you mentioned, I feel that they are poised very well and companies need to take risk. They need to take calculated risk and that's what Satya is doing. So I really appreciate his leadership for that. Yeah, to me, it's just been very fun to watch. It's almost like you're watching professional sports. Yeah, you know, seeing Microsoft come out and, and seeing these talks and having them talked about as a challenger to Google. Maybe it's just in my head, but I just always kind of thought Google was always going to be like, the leader. And then all of a sudden, in like a few weeks time, they were talking about like, is Google dead? Is, you know, the search engine dead? And like, that's just cool and exciting to see, I think, from a business perspective. You bet. I mean, in the end, it's about, it's like a startup, right? Startup, you make decisions fast. It might not be the perfect decision, but you still have to make a decision and move and make things happen. And I see that kind of a culture coming up and creeping up in Microsoft right now, which is amazing. Yeah, totally agree. Now, a few other questions we'd like to ask, and the goal here is just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. And because we just talked about Microsoft, it can't be Microsoft related. So what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? Good question. I mean, my journey in the startup is making me admire different CEOs at different stages of my my startup journey, right? But from the pure perspective of impact and having a social impact, I really admired this person. He's from India. His name is Arunachalam Murganathan. So the reason I really admire him is because, so I'm here, I don't have that many constraints. So I'm well off. I started a company and now I have my investors' money. I'm investing that and I'm figuring out how to get the best ROI through this product journey that I'm building. But this guy in India, born in a poor family, born to a poor family, he lost his dad at the age of like 14. And now he's not able to go to school. He has to support his mom. And when he gets married, he sees that his wife is using essentially unclean rags as sanitary napkin, right? And newspaper, old newspapers. And that's because sanitary napkins from, if you want to get uh, brand names, are super expensive. So what he does is with all these constraints, he comes up with a POC, a proof of concept sanitary pad. And the challenge he has is the other constraint is in India, talking about menstruation is a taboo. So now he's not able to find test subjects to try it out, right? So now he works with his wife and his sisters 
to try things out. And again, at the same time, they help him out for some time and they quit helping him. So what this guy does is he, he takes animal blood and he puts it into his, uh, his pants to test it out, right? And then eventually he realizes that the material he's using is not right. And so he sources the right material. And then he goes, he creates this, essentially it's a machine that helps in manufacturing low-cost sanitary napkins. So that machine essentially costs like 800 bucks. But if you go to a brand manufacturer, the same machine costs like $35 million, right? So this guy is able to do that and he's able to sell it across the whole of India. And now he's doing the same thing across the world. So the reason why this story resonates with me that much, and, and he's also called as a Padman, there's movies being made about him too. The reason why this resonates is because within the constraints, he's able to think creatively and work around it and still be able to deliver an innovation and actually save lives, right? So in rural India, women were dying because of the sanitary conditions. So this guy was able to, unhygienic conditions, so this guy was able to, to actually bring something and help them and actually increase life expectancy is something amazing. So yeah, he's a guy I really admire. I've not heard of him, but I love doing this podcast for the reason of, you know, obviously get to speak with cool founders, but also just get to learn about new CEOs and new entrepreneurs that I haven't heard of before. So I'll go deep on him and uh, go research him further after this interview. I will share you that information. Sounds perfect. Now, another question we like to ask is about books. And the way we like to frame this, this idea came from an author named Brian Holiday, and he calls it a quick book. So a quick book is a book that like, rocks you to your core. It really changes how you think about the world and how you approach life. Do any quick books come to mind for you? I mean, there are many books that instigated me, like Peter Thiel's Zero to One. I mean, Marshall Goldsmith, like, what got you here won't get you there, all the good stuff. But the two books that really, really resonated with me, one, I mean, Lifetime, which I admire, is, uh, I mean, Mohandas Karamchand Gandhi's My Story, uh, The Story of My Experience is Truth. So what that essentially that book talks about is leadership roles and leadership principles and, and experimentation, right? How do you use these two things? And you can use these two things for multiple aspects. One, you can use it for startups. You can use it for get greater good for humanity and all the good stuff. And I learn a lot from that aspect. So that's one book. The second book, which I'm actively implementing right now for reading is Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm. So that's something that I need because GTM becomes a pretty, not an easy, what to say, aspect to tackle for a startup like included. So that's something that I enjoy reading and try to implement at uh, my company. Yeah, I love that book. And I, I also love how old the book is. Yeah, uh, it's from what, like the 80s or 90s or yes. something like that. And it's crazy that it's still so accurate and, and still applies today, despite how much you know, it feels like technology has changed. But at the end of the day, I guess selling and marketing technology is the same thing. It doesn't really matter when that time period is, it seems. You bet. You bet. I mean, the classification of in innovators, early, early adopters and, and later the market aspect totally resonates. It still exists. Let's switch gears now and let's dive deeper into the company. So tell us about Included AI. What does the product do and, and what problem does it solve? Yeah, let me start with what problem does it solve and then I'll get into what product, what the product does. So this is not, this is going to be an elevator pitch from where you're going from zero floor to like 300 floor, going to be a little bit long. So yeah, so if you look at HR team, right? So the HR and uh, the HR analytics team members, they're spending numerous hours creating reports and dashboards for 
their business partners. Business partners can be business unit leaders, leadership team, or their managers, etc. And the challenge is they're, build, they're giving data to them. So what ends up happening is the people are consuming these reports. They ask for more information so that they can get to the insights. So this becomes like a never-ending cycle where they're asking the HR team to create more and more reports so that they're able to generate insights. So now that is the key problem that I saw happening in the current people analytics space. And that is what was the idea for Included, where now we are essentially building an AI-powered HR analytics platform that provides insights and actionable recommendations out of the box, right? So that is, whatever I said is something known as a prescriptive analytics. So we are at that stage of prescriptive analytics. And what we do is we also use generative AI, like ChatGPT, to summarize this insights and recommendations so that it can be easily consumed by leaders. So that's what we do. And can you give us an idea of the types of companies you work with and you're seeing adoption with? Yeah, so that's where the crossing the kingdom comes in. So we are going for companies that are early adopters. So Remitly was our first company and Remitly tends to work with startups who are innovating in any space, right? So HR space is where I met Kim Wu, who's our DI leader at Remitly, and she loved that we're bringing data into the equation. And she fostered the relationship and now we are essentially like a design partner with Remitly building the product with them. So the company that we go after are companies that are between 500 to 1,000 employees who are growing and they have this problem of not understanding their people data. So they are a good fit for us. And that's why we're seeing most of the sale happen. And what's the competitive landscape look like? So if they're not currently using included AI, who are they using? Or maybe like what category of tools are they using? Is people analytics another category of tools that's out there? Or is people analytics a tool that you've you know, created and, and they're just using you? No, so people analytics is a category that's out there. So we prior to people analytics, it was called business intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, if you see historically, business intelligence applications were created in-house. So you build a team of uh, BI developers and they would create their application. So similarly, that's what we're seeing internally right now is in our customer base, most of the people analytics or HR analytics solutions are built in-house where they hire a head of people analytics, they have one more person, and now this small team is expected to build a kick-ass, what to say, application that's able to provide all these rich features, which does not happen. So that's why you're seeing the current problem where it is done manually by two people team and they're in this constant churn of reports so that they're they are able to provide more and more data to the stakeholders as opposed to providing insights and actionable recommendations. What are some of the actionable tips that would come from that data and from that the people analytics? Yeah, uh, the many, right? So one of the use cases that our customer used us for was audit and calibration. So one of the challenges they had was when managers calibrate their employees, they wanted to make sure that there was no bias introduced into that. So now if you look at it from a DEI angle, diversity inclusion angle, there's so many facets to an employee demographic information or dimension information. So there is, you have race and gender and disability status veteran and all the good stuff. That's one angle to it. And also LGBTQI+. But there's also other aspect where I might be a remote employee. I might be working in a different location. I might be an employee who's part-time because uh, I went through pregnancy. So there's so many different uh, variables that come into the picture. And usually in calibration, you see recency bias kicking in. 
So that's where we come in and we look at historical data. We look at how the employee performed uh, prior to today. And we're able to come up with hotspots where we feel that the employee calibration rating was not done correctly. This exercise never happened before because you have like around 8,000 different dimensionality that you need to slice through to understand where the hotspots are. And now with ML, we are able to do that. And so for this customer, pre prior to included, they were only looking at one dimension, which is gender. And now we are able to look at like 300 different dimensions and we came up with like 8,000 different combinations. And we found 30 hotspots where they went and actually changed the calibration rating of eight employees. Wow, that's super fascinating. Yeah, so that's one example. So you can do so many things. Other example is how do I retain employees. I want to know if, can you predict and tell me if there's an attrition risk associated with my top performers? So we do that. So we look at historical data, we analyze why people are leaving, and then we go and look for lookalike employees, and then we're able to predict their attrition risk. So now managers can now figure out what they need to do to retain those employees as opposed to losing them. And what's it looking at there? Is it you know, looking at like their LinkedIn to see if they've changed to like open to work or like what types of data is it looking at to like make that determination that it's a, a high churn or high risk of churn employee? Yeah, so it depends, right? So every organization has different characteristics of why employees leave. Some organizations you might find employees leaving or women employees leaving because they don't get promoted beyond a certain level. Or it can be some other company we saw. <laughs> this is pretty a weird scenario where, or interesting scenario where we saw people leaving the organization when they hit an age of 26, right? Now, this is something that we could have never known unless and until we learned from their historical data, right? So every organization's reasons are different. And that's where our ML model comes in and learns from the data as opposed to bringing in our own bias into the equation. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. What about product market fit? Do you think you've reached product market fit? Are you close to product market fit? What are your views there? So product market fit is the most difficult aspect for a startup. And I'm, I'm happy to say that, yes, we have reached a product market fit. And we have iterated multiple times through our journey. And now we're in a place where we have an MVP. And the best part is when our prospects say that they don't need us to explain because the product speaks for itself, right? That is a moment I feel that we have hit our MVP. And that's where we are right now. So where the Includer's journey was something like this. So we started off with DI recruitment because that is where the market needs were. And we built a data-backed action-oriented system that sent nudges to the recruiters saying what they have to do so that they could increase the probability of a diverse hire, right? So essentially... We gave them recommendations on what they need to do at every stage in the recruitment funnel so that they could increase the probability of a diverse hire. Our customers saw a 30% increase in offers for women within like first 90 days of using our product, right? Now, then came the economic downturn and all of our customers stopped hiring. And the best thing that happened to us was they saw what we could do and they came and they approached us and told us that, hey, you know what, can you 
do the same thing that you did for recruitment to for retention and calibration for employees, right? So that that made us move into the employee side of the house. And right now, I'm super happy to say that the MVP that we built is resonating for our existing customers and also is resonating for all the leads that we're getting in. And I want to thank uh, Laura Chandan, who are my co-founders, and also Constantine, who's my CTO, for making this happen in a very short time. And can you talk to us about growth? Are there any numbers or metrics that you can share? Our audience always loves to hear any metrics that are available. Yeah. So from growth angle, since we crystallized on an MVP, we are seeing a 150% growth quarter over quarter. So that's why we're seeing, because, and that's because our MVP is resonating with our customers. And also we are doing a great job in, in landing high quality deals. And that's because we have a small but mighty SDR team, a sales development uh, representative team. And we are on track to essentially close our first quarter million dollar deal. Right. So, and all of this is happening in last, like, I would say two months or 60 days of us coming to a good MVP. And what do you attribute to that success and growth? Obviously, any founder listening in wants to grow like that. What are you doing from a marketing perspective and a sales perspective outside of the SDRs to achieve that growth? Oh, man. You said outside of SDRs. Actually, the thing that's working is SDRs for us. <laughs> right. So, here's the deal, right? There's so much noise in the market. And Everybody uses the term insights very loosely and how we can like raise above the noise and be there. So all of this thing just started for us has been like 60 days into journey. So we are still learning and figuring things out. But the things that really is working for us is uh, twofold. The first aspect is trusted introductions, right? So getting introductions through our customers and our customers are willing and more than happy to introduce us to their networks. So that's really working. And of course, the second thing that's working is, believe it or not, cold calling, right? So I hate getting sales calls, but that is working for us. So we see that when we send out emails, outbound emails, when actually we churned out so much content for our website, we churned out so many outbound email campaigns. The problem that is that we are facing is that the buyer who is essentially CSROs, right? Chief Human Resource Officer, they don't have time to read this email. So they don't have time to go and read content. So the thing that is working out for us is our SDR being tactful in figuring out when to reach out to these ICPs that we are targeting. And cold calling, surprisingly, is working out for us because they ask us questions, we answer, and they make a quick decision on where to take a meeting on. That's interesting to hear. I feel like I hear cold calling is dead, but I've also been hearing that for 10 years, but it continues to obviously be a big channel for companies. So... That's good to know that it's uh, it's still alive and well, or in certain cases, it can be done well and effectively. That's crazy. Yes, it is. It is working. And the key thing is, I mean, segmentation is very important. So if you don't segment, then yes, cold calling will go, will fall on space. So segmentation is key for all of those things. How have you seen your positioning and messaging really evolve then over the last couple of years? Yeah. So when we started off, we started off as a DEI technology company. So little background there, when I sold my previous company to OneTrust and I was thinking of what I need to do next, that coincided with George Floyd's murder. And I saw how the nation stepped up against it. And I was shaken too by what happened. And it got etched into my mind that I need to do something from DEI angle. I didn't know what, right? I know that I'm a problem solver. I know that I want to get into the space of DEI, but what I should do is where the gap was. So that's when I, I met my co-founders, Laura Close and Chandan Gola. They all believed in the cause. And I reached out to 
Kim Wu. She is the head of DEI and ESG at uh, Remitly. So started interviewing her and through her started interviewing many other DEI leaders. And what coincided with that time frame was the fastest growing C-suite segment two years ago was the chief diversity officer segment, right? And that's because the answer for George Floyd. So every company were figuring out or scrambling to figure out, have this role filled in so that they'll have a statement uh, made through that role, right? And this was like a deja vu moment for me because at Integra Software, which is a data privacy company, when we started off, the fastest growing uh, role that time or the fastest, yeah, the fastest growing role that time was the chief privacy officers. Because GDPR came in, every company was scrambling, they hired a chief privacy officer and the goal was for that person to figure out how to strategize and make it happen, right? So it was exactly the same moment for me. So that's when I said, okay, let me found a company, let me find Included, let, that was the genesis of Included. And then we built a database recruitment software, essentially a DI recruitment software to help companies improve the probability of a diverse hire into the organization. So that was the genesis of Included. And then as I said, we pivoted and then now we are into HR analytics. And the reason why I believe that's the right move is because DI tech by itself does not make sense because DEI tech needs to be embedded into the HR analytics aspect, right? So into HR tech. So DEI tech should not be a standalone aspect. And because of that move, even our DEI leaders are, are able to now piggyback on the budget that is available under CHROs and uh, VP of talent so that they're able to get even their, what to say, features and their value prop part of the HR analytics platform. That's where we shine a lot. Mm, that's super interesting. That makes sense. So it sounds like in 2020 or when was that? Like June 2020, that's when DI started to really come up. Yeah. It was almost its own division. It's had its own leader. Now it sounds like it's been merged together and now it's all part of HR. Is that correct? It's not merged still. That that debate is going on where mm -hmm. the leader should would say report under, but the tech stack is merged. Mm -hmm. The tech stack is owned by HR. There is no separate DEI tech stack. That makes a lot of sense. Are you seeing a lot of other tools then that were launched at around that same time? Yeah. Merge as well? Because I think there was a lot of money, right? That was, I think, like, that was like the entrepreneurs and the venture capitalist response when George Floyd's, you know, horrific event happened. It was, okay, let's, you know, launch companies and let's throw money at this problem to try to solve it. So are you yes. seeing a lot of those companies also follow a similar path? Yeah, so many of our many of the companies that launched that time was mostly on survey-based companies, right? So engagement and understanding what the sentiments are for women and black and brown employees within the organization in LGBTQI+. But very few companies started with data-backed principles. So uh, and included is one of those companies that focus on data-backed or DI tech aspect. So we are the first company, we are the company that coined the word DI tech. And let's talk a little bit about the AI component here. So AI, I've heard a little bit about that. As you can maybe imagine, there's been you know, a few companies on the show in the last few months that have talked about AI. Just kidding, of course. AI is you know everywhere. I knew AI had blown up when my mom, who's like, I think she's 65, she texted me and asked me about ChatGPT. That was how I knew AI was you know really getting into the mainstream. So there's just a lot of noise with AI. There's a lot of companies with AI. There's a lot of funding going through or going into AI companies. What are you doing to educate the market and make sure that they really understand that your AI is you know, different from everything else that's out there? 
I mean, a million dollar question, right? So my belief is that AI should not be black box and it needs to be explainable, right? So once you make it explainable, then it's easy for people to trust. So that is the fundamental approach when we design our product and our features is everything needs to be explainable. So for instance, when I talk about employee attrition risk prediction, so we use an AI model, an ML model to predict that. And we also explain all the reasons why we think employee X is attrition is high, uh, what is the attrition score is high compared to employee Y whose attrition score is low. So we, we have like 10 different variables that we look at and we have weightage associated with each of those variables and we show them so that when an HR person is looking at it or a manager is looking at that, they clearly understand why included is saying what it is saying, right? So explainability becomes very critical. The second thing also what we do is there are a lot of companies that make decision, use AI and make decision on behalf of the user, right? That's, that is a danger area because you don't know whether it's learning the right thing and is it doing the right decision. So what we do is it's more like a complementary feature as opposed to automatic decision-making feature. So in case of calibration ratings, right? So we use our ML and AI to, to show where the hotspots are and then we let the HR person or the manager look at it and then make a decision on whether they want to actually change something or not. So the decision-making process is still there, but what we have done is we have made them efficient. Previously, if somebody had to do the same work, it would take like three months just to go through 300 different dimensions and 8,000 combinations. Now we're able to do the whole thing, we have compressed the whole thing to like five minutes, right? So that's how we're using AI to maximize efficiency. That's how I'm looking at it. And that's what we keep preaching to our customers as opposed to saying that we are automatic decision-making uh, system. And many of our customers use us to audit their process. So they use, they use applications that have AI to make aut uh, automatic decision process like reviewing of uh, candidates, right? So part of uh, recruitment process, one of the biggest challenges recruiters have is they get like 3,000 applicants. And now how do they slip through that? How do they know that there are women applicants in that funnel. So it's a lot of challenges there, right? So they use AI to make decisions on their behalf. And now all of a sudden, they're only going to see like two or 20 applicants that they need to focus on. But what happens to the rest of the 2080 applicants? They don't even get a chance, right? So that's where our product comes in and we audit it and we say that, hey, you know what? You're only reviewing men for this role and your AI is not doing the right thing there. So here are the women applicants that you're not reviewed. Go review them. Right? So we bring the review rates equal. So we're giving equity for all applications as opposed to just few getting a shot at the job. Mm. So they use us to audit, essentially. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, switching gears here a little bit, let's talk about money or talk about funding, I should say. So I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised $5.4 to date. What have you learned about fundraising in this journey so far? I mean, different stages require different kinds of parameters, right? So when you're in your pre-seed and seed stage, it's predominantly the founding team and the capability to build a product and execute. So that's what investors look at. Because if you have a great team, then throw a problem at them, they'll figure out how to build something out of it that's going to be useful for a customer base. So that's where the focus is going to be. But once you go from C to A, it's all about, I found a product market fit. Now I am figuring out a way to scale it and sell more of it. So that is a journey that I'm on right now. I'm embarking on the journey. So it's all about more numbers. Like how you said, right? What is your 
quarter over quarter growth. So those are the kind of things that that matter right now. And that's where the focus is. But having said that, more than fundraising, the thing that I truly believe that every founder needs to be aware is cash, right? So don't don't burn through cash. So the biggest challenge that I had was during this whole course of two and a half years, there's been multiple times where I felt I had a good product market fit. And multiple times during the time I thought I need to scale. And I did scale one time and I felt it fell flat because customers were not resonating with what we built. So having a good structure around validating your product market fit and then seeing few deals go through through founder-led sales and then figuring out how to scale it is that wise that I would do to everybody. Cash is king, so hold on to the cash. Let's imagine you were starting the company again today from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice you'd give to yourself? Yeah, that's the same thing. Right? That's exactly what I was going to give myself is, Raghu, don't get overexcited when something, when something you feel is good. Validate it. Make sure that customers are resonating with it. Make sure that you're able to, you are, me personally, I'm able to sell it multiple times and then focus on, on scale and expansion story. Until then, it's all about hustling and understanding the real customer pain point, staying close to customer and making sure that their pain points are met through the value you're providing through the platform is critical. Final couple of questions here before we wrap up, since we're almost on time. What excites you most about the work you get to do every day? I love the fact that every day I walk and I would say every hour I'm posed with a new kind of a problem, right? I never thought in my life that I will work on contracts where I'll be sitting and talking about liability, insurance, and all that good stuff, right? So everything, this is not my my strength. And every day I come in, I learn something new and I have to solve something new, right? So the problem solving in me is keeping me excited to come to work every day. The best part is my team supports me. My team is like, they just don't accept what I say. They challenge me and they push me and they push my boundaries, which is great. Because I believe that it takes a village to be successful and it takes a village for an to be successful too. So yeah, so problem solving and my team are the two things that, that keep me excited to come to work every day. And final question here. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's that big picture vision? What are you trying to build? Yeah, so right now, if, you, if Peter feels like zero to one. So right now I'm not building a zero to one. I'm building more of better efficient people analytics and my vision for Included is that it'll become a zero to one or a category creator because we will eventually transition into a people experience space. And for that to happen, we need to have a foundation and that's what we're building right now. And the goal is that we'll end up providing equitable experiences for every employee in an organization so that they can realize their full potential. So every individual is different. The needs are different to be successful. And I want to build a platform that's able to understand that, provide the right experience to the manager, about the employee, to the, to the employee, about what they need to do to be successful so that they're able to succeed at their job. And what that will result in is companies can see a boost in employee morale and productivity, and that will maximize the profit. So key thing is how do you provide equitable experiences, which is uniquely tailored for every employee? That's what I want to get to. Amazing. I love the vision and I love everything that you're building and I, I love the problem that you're solving. 
Now we are up on time, so we'll have to wrap. Before we wrap, though, if there's any founders listening in who want to follow along with your journey or perhaps they're early adopters themselves, where should they go? They can reach out to me at ragu, R-A-G-H-U, at uh, includer.ai, and that's the best way to get in touch with me. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat, talk about what you're building, and, and share some of the lessons that you've learned along the way. I've really enjoyed the conversation and really appreciate you taking the time. Likewise, Brett. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. No problem. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 